This week's parsha is Parsha's Vayechi. Beginning of the parsha, we find that Yaakov Avinu makes a request of his powerful son Yosef that he would like, after he dies, to be buried not in Eretz Mitzrayim, but rather in Eretz Canaan. And he made Yosef take a shvua that he would do so. And then the Sukkim say that when he took a shvua by Yishtachu Yisrael al Reish Hamita, Yaakov Avinu was Mishtachave, he bowed down al Reish Hamita on the head of the bed. Rashi says of Shat what this means on the head of a bed. Al Reish Hamita, al Shahaisa Mitasai Shlema. At this point, he bowed down because of the fact that his mita was shlema, his bed, as it were, was complete, meaning his entire family was now intact and proper and good. And there wasn't any rishayim amongst his descendants. Shara Yosef Melechaya, because Yosef was a melech. And not only was he a king, but he was... Uh, held captive, taken hostage amongst Gayim, and you would think that the odds were very high that he would not be from, that he would not stay observant and faithful to his religion. But yet, Varu Yosef was the Yosef HaTzadik that he left as, and so at this point, when Yaakov Avinu is at the final stage of his life, by Yishtacho Yisrael Reish Hamita, he was Mishtachev over the fact that he had Mitasa Shlema. He was grateful to the Rabbeinu Shleilam that HaKadosh Baruch Hu merited him to have his entire bed, his entire Yichus going forward being complete. I wanted to suggest maybe a, a different shot or perhaps a deeper shot into what this means, al-Reish Hamita, that, that at this point Yaakov Avinu was somehow connected to the entire bed, to the entire lineage that he was producing and that they were perfect. If anyone is following the entire bird's eye view of all of these parshias, and it's sometimes difficult because there are so many details that have emerged over the past few weeks. And so you forget sometimes when you're reading an entire narrative to, uh, to keep all of the pieces in, in your brain appropriately and understand the bigger picture and, not to, uh, uh, and to be able to see the forest from the trees. The entire Miso with Yosef and his brothers really began with the dreams of Yosef. Yosef had these peculiar dreams about the sun and the moon and the stars all bowing down to him, and then another dream about the, the different stalks of grain in the field that were suddenly bowing down to Yosef. Very strange dreams. And Yaakov Avinu himself, when he was told these dreams, was very uh, perturbed by them. And in fact, he says to Yosef, Hine... He says, do you think that me and your mother and your brothers are going to actually bow down before you? Rashi says it was impossible for Yaakov to really accept that. 
because Rachel Imenu had already died and she wasn't there anymore. How do you see this happening, Yosef? And he was basically seemingly just writing off the entire Chalaymas of Yosef. But yet the Pasuk says, Va'aviv Shamar Echadav, or Yaakovinu wasn't discounting the dreams. He wasn't saying that these dreams are nonsensical, but rather, he was waiting. Shamar is a lotion of to be mountain, to wait and to anticipate when will these dreams actually be fulfilled. In other words, Yaakov Avinu was not negative about the dreams. He wasn't skeptical about the dreams. He actually believed that the dreams would happen. He was awaiting with bated breath almost, when are these dreams actually going to come to light? So you have to keep that in mind because that is a very critical part of the entire section of Sefer Bereshis from then on. And we have to, you know, even after we have Yosef going down to Mitzrayim after being thrown into a pit and all of the uh, things that took place in the house of Petifar and then when they, in the prison with the... Sarah Mashkin, the Sarah and then interpreting Parah's dreams, and then being the Moshe of Chalaret Mitzrayim, we forget about the dreams. Like, okay, I don't know, that, that was, uh, you know, yesterday's parasha, and now we have to just focus further, but we can't forget about the dreams. What happened to the punchline? What happened to those dreams? Were they ever actually fulfilled? And the answer is that they were partially fulfilled, because in last week's parsha, when the when Yosef revealed himself to his brothers, so it says that what that the brothers bowed down to Yosef. The Balaturim there says that that was a kiyum of the chalaymos of Yosef. When Yosef's brothers bowed down to him, when they first met him and beyond, every time that they bowed down to Yosef. That was a kiyum of the dreams. Yosef's dreams were being fulfilled. But we never really find that the entirety of the dream is fulfilled. After all, Yaakov Avinu has not yet bowed down. His mother, Rachel Imenu, never bowed down. She wasn't alive anymore. So when were the dreams totally fulfilled? And if we don't have that piece of the puzzle, then this whole story is really is really lacking because it never happened. When did all the sun and the moon and the stars bow down to Yosef? Representing the father, the mother, and the entire family. Yes, the brothers did bow down, but not the father, and and certainly not the mother. And I think that this Pasuk is the kiyam, not just of a portion of the Chalayim, but really the entire Chalayim. Because the entire Chalayim was really implying that everybody would be bowing down together. They were all going to do it at once. Hashemesh, Vayareach, It didn't sound like it was going to be done in tranches and piecemeal, but rather it was going to be done at once. When did that happen? And I think perhaps now it's happening. Vayishtachu Yisrael al At the end of this whole episode of Yosef and his brothers with the parents and everything, at the end of Yaakovino's life, he bows down to his son. Rashi says, Tala b'idna sagidla. Even the fox gets its day. The lion has to bow down to the fox sometimes. Yaakovino had no business bowing down to Yosef, but he needed Yosef now. Yosef was the 
one in power and he needed to come on to that power. So, so Yaakov bowed down to Yosef. But it wasn't Yaakov alone that was bowing down to Yosef. But Yaakov was representing his entire family here. His mita was shlema, meaning that Yaakov Avinu at this point, with that one bowing of Yaakov, he was representing his entire family. Ishtai Kagufa, Rachel Imenu was bowing down, Leah was bowing down, Bilha was bowing down, Zilpa was bowing down, and all of the sons of Yaakov, Mitasa Shlema, his entire bed, his entire family, his entire destiny, all at once, with Yaakov Inu as the representative of all that, he was now bowing down to Yosef, and with this one bow, the entire dream and both of them were fulfilled in full. Shemesh, Vayareach, Vacharasur, Kaychavim, Mishtachavim, Li, they all bow down when? At this point. Vayishtachu Yisrael, Aresh Amita. Because he wasn't representing himself, he was representing many people. In life we find this very often. That one person is not just a single solitary individual, but one person represents a tzibar gadol. I'll give you a few examples of this. There's a Gemara, a Mishnah actually in Sanhedrin, and Ahmed Zayin, Ahmed Aleph, says a fascinating thing in a Mishnah. Lefichach nivra adam yechidi. Ever wonder why when HaKadosh Baruch and Maisa Barishas creates animals, he doesn't create one bird, one cow, he doesn't create one fish, he creates schools of fish, he creates many, many herds of, of cattle, many horses, many, by the millions perhaps, HaKadosh Baruch created, he didn't create just one. But when it comes to Adam Harishain, HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not make an entire Kehillah at once. He created one man. Just one. Why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu do that? You ever wonder why HaKadosh Baruch Hu started the world with just one man as opposed to making a huge tzibah? Why don't you make a billion people? And the Mishnah says, L'lamedcha shekala ma'abed nefesh achas misrael ma'ila olav akasov ki'ilo to teach a person that if you kill one person, what you're really essentially doing is killing an entire world. And if you save one life, it's as if you save the universe. Because look around. All the billions and billions of people that are on planet Earth today all hail from one single man. It's incredible. We're all from the same person. We may look different, we may behave different, we may be from different nations, different religions, but we all come from one single man. Now, we're looking at ourselves now as being from Admarishan, and that's accurate. But you know what? If you look at yourself like Admarishan, and you fast-forward human history another, let's say, 5,000 years from now, 6,000 years from now, each of us, think about this, 
Each and every one of us could have billions of people from us. How scary a thought is that? Billions of people coming from you and from you and from me? That's exactly what you're doing. When you kill a person, you're not just killing one person, you're killing billions of people. When you save a single person's life, you're inherently, you're, you're in fact saving a world, literally. Because from every single person has the potential of an Eila Mali. Amazing. In fact, if Schwab said that, you know, we always throw around the number six million, six million Kedoshim. And technically, that's true. That's how many Jews were killed by the Nazis. But he says that's a really wrong number. That's doing like almost a disservice to what really happened during the Holocaust. It's not six million Jews that were killed. And you know, today you have revisionists that say it was never six million Jews. It was more like maybe a million, and they make all these cheshbonos. They're trying to undermine the Kedoshim and the sacrifice that Klal Yisrael made during that terrible period of, of our history. But Schwab says, you know, it wasn't, they're right, it wasn't six million. It was much more than six million. Maybe it was 60 million. Because by now, every single one of those Kedoshim could have produced many, many hundreds of people. Sometimes you see pictures of, you know, Hasidish families. And you see like the great-grandparents, these old, this old couple sitting in the middle of like the Chasna picture. And then they're surrounded literally by hundreds of people. Do you ever see such a picture? It's very shy to do that. If you get married young, let's say a person gets married at 20, and then they have, they, they have children right away, and they, their children get married at 20, v'chule, v'chule, then, you know, by the time a person hits 90, 100, you could literally have a, 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 an army of, of descendants. That's just one couple. That's one couple. So, if within the span of 100 years, or 80 to 100 years, you could produce hundreds of descendants, how many, what's the math of 6 million extending 100 years? Which is almost what we're up to. It's incredible numbers. It's not 6 million. 6 million is a tipa shabiyam of what the truth is. Today, we would have had a, a people of, of, of 60 million, a, a, of 100 million maybe, maybe more. Every single person is not just a person. We're not just an individual. We're not one. We're hundreds, we're thousands, we're millions, we're billions because from us has potential to come all that with time. There's a Gemara in Rosh Hashanah and Lamed that suggests that one of the Psukim of Zechreinus that we say in Musav and Rosh Hashanah should be Vashem Pakad Es And the Gemara says, how can you use that as a Pasuk? Aren't we trying to look for, for Psukim that refer to HaKadosh Baruch remembering Klal Yisrael as a whole, as a Tzibur? Sorry, Menu was one person. What does the Gemara answer? No. You could use a Pasuk like Vashem Pakad Es that Hashem remembered Sarah, that would work for Zechreinus. Why? The Gemara says the Lashon, Kivan da Asu Rabbim Mina, Kirabim Damya. 
since many, many people will descend from Sar, we all come from Sari Meno, millions and, 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 and hundreds of millions of Jews throughout time have come out of Sari Meno. So she's not an individual. Don't look at Sari Meno as one person. Sari Meno herself has a tzibor. She has a din of a rabbim. Kivan rabbim mina. Since a rabbim will come out, multitudes will emanate from her. So kirabim dami, she's like a rabbim. We look at her as a tzibor. I'll bring you another raya. You know, there's a Ramban in Sefer in Parsha Shemais. We're not going to be here in Yeshiva during Shemais. So I'll give you a quick Shemais schmooze. There's a Ramban in Shemais that says an amazing question. In fact, I had this question when I was a little kid. I had this question. I didn't know it was a Ramban until much later in my life I found it. It always bothered me, this question. We know that Klal Yisrael... In Mitzrayim, there was a miracle, Shisha Bekaris Echad. Everybody knows six children were born every time. Where do you find that by Misha, by Aaron, by Miriam? We don't know of any such Makaira that Misha was born together with five siblings, or Aaron with five siblings, or Miriam with five siblings. We never find such a thing. So how does that Chazal hold water? It doesn't seem to... To, to really stand the test of, uh, of reality. We don't know everybody that was born during that time, but we certainly know Moshe and Miriam. They were the famous celebrities that were born in Mitzrayim during that tukupa. Where were their, uh, where were the five kids born with each of them? I always was bothered by this question for some reason, and then somebody said, you know, that's a Ramban. The Ramban says something fantastic. The Ramban says that this haftacha, of Shisha Bekeres Echad comes because of a Pasuk. V'chashar Yanu Oisa Oisa Kenyir Bevechen Yifretz The more that Mitzrayim made the life of Klal Yisrael bitter and oppressive Kenyir Bevechen Yifretz Klal Yisrael were Zeicha to explosive growth Mida Kenegin Mida Power wants to sub, subdue the, bur, the population of Klal Yisrael. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Ken Yir Bebechen Yifritz. That no, I'm going to make it explode. Shisha Bekeres Echad. Ramban, that that's only for people that weren't, that were part of the Shibud. Jews that were actually being oppressed, they get the bracha of Ken Sheva Levi, who we know are exempt from the Sheba, they had a Petur, they didn't have to, they could go to the base Medrash, so there was no nace of Shisha Bekarasecha because they didn't have the Mida Kenegemida of Ken Beautiful Ramban. So the Ramban seems to be saying that what? That Yechaved did not have six tuplets at once. But I beg to differ with Ramban. Listen to this medrash. It's a medrash in Shirashirim Rabbah, Parak Aleph, Medrash Samachay. Listen to this medrash. Rebbe Hayayeshevadirish. Rebbe was sitting and darshning in his yeshiva. Vinisnam name Hatsibur. Something that I can't relate to, but the tzibur was dozing off. 
Sibur was misnamnim. We had this a few weeks ago. Remember a similar medrash with Rabbi Akiva? So we have now a good chevra of Rabbonim that, had, uh, that, that make us all feel good. So the Tzibor was misnamnim. Bikesh la'iron. Rabbi didn't like people sleeping in his shir during his drasha. So he wanted to awaken them. He wanted to stir them from their, from their slumber. Omar, he said, Yolda Isha Achas B'Mitzrayim Shishim Rebay B'Karas Echad There was a woman that gave birth in Egypt and she had not Shisha B'Karas Echad, she had Shishim Rebay B'Karas Echad. She had 600,000 children in her stomach at one time. I don't know if there's a word for that. And in that shear that day, there was a single Talmud. He said, Rabbi, who are you talking about? Who is this woman that had Shishim Rebai Bekaris Echad? I'd love to know. You got my attention now. It was Yechaved. How did that happen? Very simple. She Yolda es Meisha she Shokol kineget Shishim Ribe Shal Yisrael. She gave birth to Meisha Rabbeinu, and Meisha Rabbeinu was Shokol. He was equal to six hundred thousand. And the Medrash brings Psukim Oz Yasher Meisha Ovenei Yisrael. We see that Meisha and Yisrael were Shokol, and brings a few other Psukim. What do we see from this Halagah Medrash? That Yechaved gave birth not only to Shisha B'Karas Echad, but to Shishim Rebai B'Karas Echad. 600,000 kids did Yechaved have. Not just six. How did she pull this off? By having one shah by the name of Meshur Rabbeinu, she was considered to be a woman that gave birth to Klal Yisrael because she had Meshur and Meshur was shakal keneged shishim ribay. And I think that Rebbe, by design, chose this idea to awaken his Talmidim because the Lashon of the Medrash was in this nam name had Sibor. That Sibor was dozing off. That Sibor was falling asleep. You know why you fall asleep if you're in Shear? Because there's other guys in Shear. It's not a one-on-one chavrusa shops. I don't have to be awake. It's not a big deal if I fall asleep. If I don't chav Shear, somebody else will. Maybe I'll get a recording of it. Maybe somebody else will teach it to me someday. Or maybe nobody will. But it doesn't matter. It's not my responsibility. I'm just one little guy. It doesn't matter. Rebbe was telling each Talmud, it does matter. Because each and every one of you, each and every one of you will have Shishim Rebbe come out of you. If you look at life in a certain way, don't look at yourself as a nobody. Don't look at yourself as a number. Don't look at yourself as somebody that's negligible in the big picture. You are the big picture. Everything is from you. Every yachid is not a yachid. Every yachid is Eilam Umlayai. 
That's how you're waking up somebody from their sleep. You don't sleep. If I would show you MetLife Stadium, a picture of 100,000 Yidden, I would tell you, by the way, this isn't a picture that was taken last week. This is a picture that was taken, that will be taken in 2095. And by the way, all of the stadium, you know who their great, great Zayda was? You! Me? I have 100,000 descendants coming from me? Oh, boy, I better start davening. And I better start learning. And I better start giving tzedakah. And I better start being a mensch. And I better start getting some midas. And I better start uh, making sure to do the right thing and fast. Because I got a lot of people that are going to be looking up to me like I am their ancestor. It's a tremendous achrayas to think that way. But that's the reality. You can't escape it. Every single year, you get married, you have a family. In Mirza Hashem, in a, in, in a couple of decades, not too long, you'll see a whole family picture with you in the middle. And then if I could show you a picture in, you know, in, in, in 200 years from now, you could literally have a million descendants. That's a way to be ma'er you. Be, you better be a good husband, you better be a good father, because these kids are going to have kids of their own. And whatever you ingredients you, you use in a cake, that's how the cake comes out. You put good stuff into the kids, your kids will be good. You put bad stuff into the kids, the kids will be bad, Rahman al-Islan. But it's a big achrayas. You don't look in the mirror anymore as one little guy who, you know, just has to like get through life. You got a, you got a big job ahead of you. Bikesh la'iran. There was a woman that gave birth in Egypt that she didn't just have one kid, she had shishim ribai. A lot of people will come out of us. He was bowing down to Yisrael, but he wasn't bowing down as an individual. He was bowing down as Klal Yisrael. Because Klal Yisrael was coming out of him. Descendants upon descendants, we were all bowing down with that one Maisa Veshachavaya to Yisrael. Because one person is really an ilam. It's not a single individual. Up until now, we have basically laid out a very strong case, I believe, about how each of us is an ilam. We are each representing much more than ourselves. Why? Because I'm representing my future descendants. Now, that's not so compelling perhaps, on a daily basis, because, all right, maybe, yeah, maybe no, but like, I don't look at myself right now as filling up MetLife Stadium, and if it, if it happens, it's going to happen in a couple hundred years or so, it's okay, I don't have to, uh, that's not such a shibut on me, although it should be, it's tremendous shibut, but I can understand if the Eitzhar would say, ignore him, because, eh, you know, just live a normal life, don't get neurotic about anything, and just admit such everything will turn out fine. But there's another equation here that is also implicit in that medrash. Not just that Miriam, not just that Yechavid, by having Maishu Rabbeinu, she was a woman that gave birth to 600,000 people in the future. No, no, no. Maishu Rabbeinu, let's examine him. He was Shokol Kineget Shishim Ribai. What does that mean? That means that 
Moshe Rabbeinu represented in real time, not in the future, not because Moshe Rabbeinu himself would have 600,000 descendants, but Moshe Rabbeinu was a different model of this understanding of an oilam that comes out of a person, that a person represents more than just himself, and that's today. Moshe Rabbeinu, every move that he made, it wasn't just him, he was carrying the weight of the nation on him. He was the face of the nation. He was the leader, he was the Manigadar, he was the Gabaladar, he was a Saratire, he was a Navi, he was everything to Klayasha, and everything that he did, he was Shakal Kinagashish and Rebai, because he was the ambassador of Klayasra. In real time, he represented the entire panorama of Klayasal in his dar. Not in future dairas, not in unfolding dairas, but when he was alive, he was shuckle immediately as a leader of Klai Yisrael, as a manig. He was shuckle keneged, Klai Yisrael, keneged shishim read by then. And every year is like this. You don't have to be Moshe Rabbeinu to represent your nation. I'll give you a very, very bad mushroom. If let's say there is a uh, an Israeli athlete, and sometimes you have this, you know, and once in a while in Israel they have like an athlete that you know makes it to uh, the semifinals. You know, there was a very good tennis player or a wrestler or whatever. And they're from Israel. And when he's in the Olympics, every single, no, not every single Jew is watching him, but, but many Jews and many Israelis are watching him. He's not just himself. When he's in that wrestling match, when he's in that swimming pool, when he's in the boxing ring, when he's on the, uh, on the soccer field, he's representing the entire people. If he would win a medal, it's not just his medal, it's, it's, the, it's his people's medal. That's how it works. He's an ambassador for everybody. Everything that he does is really, he's the face of the nation. He represents something. We're all like that. When we go out on a street on a regular day, People are watching us, and believe it or not, they're examining us, they're observing us, and they're waiting to see what we do. If we're going into a post office on Main Street, and there's a a guy or a yid or whatever right behind us, and we don't hold the door open for that person, we just let the door slam right in the guy's face, we have made a tremendous chil Hashem. Why? It's just me. I, I didn't, you know, that doesn't reflect on, on, on everyone else. I'm, a, I'm not a nice guy, but, you know, there are a lot of Jews would... I don't know. It doesn't work that way. It would be great if it worked that way, but the real way it works is they look at all Jews now as being people that have no midas. No midas. If you're a person that cheats somebody, that you're dishonest in business, and you make a chil Hashem, you get caught... You didn't just represent yourself. You represented all of us. We're all in the same boat. That's just the way it is. Rav Schwab 
was very, very agitated when there was, a, and I remember this when I was a child, there was a, a very from man, and I use that in quotes, who was, uh, he had a long beard and a big yarmulke, and he was busted for a very bad nursing home scandal. Not going to get into Pratim what it was. It was a very, very, very big chilash on what he was doing. To make, to make a few extra dollars, he was doing things that were unconscionable. And it became a very, very big court case. And every night on the nightly news, uh, they were covering it. And they showed this man, they called him a rabbi, and he had a big, uh, big yarmulke on his head, and he had a long beard. And they would call him rabbi in the news, and he did this, and he did that, and this is what happened in the case. Rav Schwab was furious about what was going on. The Chil Hashem that was Naira. And he sent word through somebody that knew him personally that he should shave his beard and take that yarmulke off his head. Because you're bringing us all down by your actions. What, you're so from that you're, you know, you all of a sudden you find, you know, when religion is, is, is suitable for you, then it's okay? You didn't keep Shulchan Aruch before you got caught, but now that you get caught, you want some, some mercy or whatever, you want people to think that you're a, you have good character, so now you're sporting your big yarmulke on your beard, shave the beard off and get rid of the yarmulke. Oh, what do you mean? He's a yid. When you act in a way that's a chil Hashem, you are tarnishing the good name of Knesset Yisrael. That's just the way it is. You represent Shishim Riba, you're Meishar Abenu. Don't think of yourself as just one lowly individual, part of a very vast seabar, and it doesn't matter the way I act. It doesn't matter when I walk on the street if I if I scream and I and I and I start uh, acting in a wild way or I start you know doing something unethical in the store and, and at work and in in at home and who cares? It doesn't. I'm just one little guy. You're not one little guy. You're Klal Yisrael. You're Shishim Ribai. because the entire nation you are representing, whether you realize it or not. And the same thing is, of course, true if you do something good. If you do a Kiddush Hashem and you hold the door open for somebody or you're impeccably honest in business and everybody knows that you, know, that you are, are unbelievably honest and you, you know, you get, if you get a little too much change or like you notice on your bill in the restaurant that they, uh, they didn't charge you for something that you actually ordered and you go and you call the waiter over and say, by the way, you know, I owe you extra money because you, you, I had three sodas and you only put two on the, on the bill, you have basically lifted the ship of Klal Yisrael with one act, a simple act of, of reporting the fact that you owe another $2 on your bill, you have made a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. You've wiped away all of the bad opinions of the world that Jews are miserly and we're cheap and we're money grubbers and we're hungry. You have basically just cleaned the image of Kal Yisrael with that one $2 action. Amazing. One person represents an Eilam going forward in a thousand years from now, we will be millions of people, just me and just you. But additionally, now I'm already millions of people today. Because I am representing everything. I saw a Misa, an amazing Misa, that in 1976, 
I don't think any of you were born yet, but I remember it pretty well. And um, there was a raid, everyone knows the story, but I remember it. The raid on Entebbe. There was a, a plane that was full of Jews that was hijacked, taken to a terrible country called Entebbe, where the, the leader... Um, the leader was uh, a terrible Russia, and uh, he was, they say, I think they said he was a cannibal. Um, anyway, it, it wasn't exactly a country that you'd want to make a stop over in, if you know what I'm saying. And um, his name was Idiam Minyamach That was the name of the leader. And they were stuck there. They were, there they were going to get shafted. There was no question that these guys, that all these Israelis, I don't know exactly how many, but a lot, they were all going to get shafted al Kiddush Hashem. There was no doubt. And, um, and Israel did a, a very stunning, daring raid that was like straight out of the movies. They basically, they landed a plane near the airport, which is where they were being held hostage. And they had in this cargo plane a couple of Mercedes, which, uh, which is what Idi Amin used to drive around, like black Mercedes. And they simulated as if Idi Amin himself was coming to visit the, the, the hostages somehow. They flew under the radar and they didn't pick up the plane and they were able to do it. And, they out, and, and all the, the hush of the soldiers, the Israeli soldiers, snipers, they, they came out of the cars and they basically rescued not all of the hostages. The main soldier just, you know, parenthetically was... Uh, was Yoni Netanyahu, Bibi Netanyahu's brother, who died al Kiddush Hashem on the tarmac in, in Entebbe. Great hero. But this was, uh, this was an amazing, amazing, daring rescue, and they put all the Yidin on the plane, and, uh, and they rescued. They went into the lion's den, and against all odds were able to carry out the most amazing rescue mission possibly in human history. So the story goes that there was, um, when this news broke, it was like, because the whole world was glued to what was going on in Entebbe, and here comes Israel, and Mamish pulls up like a, a crazy thing, and the whole world was like, was, was really like going crazy over Israel. They were so like amazed at what they had just seen. It was a miracle in front of their eyes, and uh, they were like beyond themselves with their admiration for Israel. So... There was a, a cruise liner at this time as the news was breaking, some, some random cruise liner that was out on the seas, and they wanted, like the captain of that ship, of that cruise, and all the passengers, they wanted to like do something, like make a public recognition of, of the Jewish people and the state of Israel and, and all that they had just experienced. So they wanted to like sort of make a presentation to a, a token Jew on the ship in order to thank them and, and be, you know, and, and, and just like show their recognition of what had just transpired. It's an amazing thing. And they were looking all over the ship. Is there any Jew on the ship? It was a very waspy type of cruise, upscale. They found one guy on the whole ship that was Jewish he was called Mendela, and he was the waiter. Mendela the waiter. That was a simple Pashta Yid that was a waiter on a cruise ship. 
he was the token Jew, and the captain and all of the, the crew, they were all like standing in attention for this medal of the waiter, and they presented him with some sort of medal, and everybody was clapping for him. And this little Yidla, Mendel of the waiter, he was the ambassador of the entire Jewish people. And that's the way we all are. We're all Mendel of the waiters. We all have the entire Jewish people on our shoulders. Anti-Semitism is rampant in the world. You know, we might have something to do with that, believe it or not. Because if we're not being honest and we're not being nice, and we're acting in a, in, a, in a way that's inappropriate for a Jew to act in any which way, then that could very easily create and breed a lot of anger towards us. I'm not saying that, you know, blame the victim. We're definitely victims. But we might be contributing unknowingly to what's going on. You know, I, I saw interviews with, with people that, you know, man-on-the-street interviews about what they think in like Jersey City or these types of Medinas, what they think about the Jews. And they said, no, these Jews are, you know, they, they came in and they bought up all the buildings and they're evicting us and they're not, you know, they don't share with us and they're not being nice to us and they, they're money hungry, they just want to take our money, they don't get back. Now, I'm, I don't know what's Emerson and what's not Emmis, but there's definitely a perception out there that we're not exactly the Amanivchar and we're not, we're not deserving of that, of that title. Does that justify Rahman al-Litzlan shootings and killings and, 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 uh, and machetes? No, it doesn't. Absolutely not. Let's be unequivocal about that. It does not justify. It's terrible what's going on in the world. But when we act appropriately, then we could expect that perhaps Gayim will somewhat respect us. But when we act not appropriately, when we're doing things that are not befitting a Yid, when we're not acting like the Amanivchar, that might breed some, some, some very negative, very negative aspersions against us. So we are Shishim Ribai, each and every one of us. And that's Bechlau. But there's also a Shishim, there's also another ambassador, and that's much more local. That when we're in a yeshiva, we represent every single person in the yeshiva. We represent the yeshiva. We are the ambassadors of the yeshiva, whether you like it or not. You might not want to be that ambassador. It doesn't matter. I don't want to be ambassador for the Jewish people. I don't want everybody to look at me like, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm the, you know, I'm, 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 I'm representing Claudia. So I just want to be a regular. Too bad. You can't. You don't have that option. You, don't, you can't like check that box and say, I, you know, I don't want to be a representative. You are. When you walk outside, the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you hold the door for somebody, the way you say good morning, or you don't say good morning, all very much reflects on your entire nation. But when you're in yeshiva, you have another extra achrayis, because everything that you do and say represents this institution. I learned this early on. I've never said this story, Barabim, and I think I'm going to regret saying this story, Barabim, because it's a little bit embarrassing about myself, but... Whatever. It's already came up in Asmanim, so uh, you know we can we can chill a little bit. It's just you, me, and her anytime world. Um, when I was a bacher, I was learning in Chaim Berlin in Beis Medrash, and it was around uh, maybe a little deeper into the zman. It was a winter zman, and it was uh, it was an ibriyar. 
so there was actually two others. So it was deeper into the year. We were into the second Adar, and we were learning Yuvamas that winter's man. And Baruch Hashem, we don't learn Yuvamas in Yeshiva, but if we did, I think you would be able to better relate to what I'm about to say. I was literally going crazy, okay? It was in the middle of the winter. It was a freezing winter with snow and hail and ice, and, and we were learning Yuvamas, and, you know, after a while, all the Tsaras Tsaras start getting to you a little bit, and a lot of Tsaras, and... Um, and I just told my chavrusa, I said, I-, I need to get out of here. He said, me too. Where do you want to go? I said, Florida sounds really good right now. He said, fine. We'll go together to Florida. I said, great. Let's call the... He says, no. Because before we go to Florida, we have to ask the Rashiva Rishos. I said, you think I'm going to go to the Rashiva and ask him for permission in the middle of this man to go to Miami Beach? Crazy? He said, well, then I'm not going with you. I didn't want to go myself. So I said, fine. We'll go to the Rashiva. So I went up to the Rashiva with my Shavrusa. The Baron Shafter was the Rashiva and is the Rashiva. And he said, uh, Yes, Rabbi Meisha, what can I do for you? So I said, Rabbi, I, I said, It's a very hard zman. It's Yavamis. I'm going a little crazy. I'm like, my mind is like playing tricks on me. And whoever I see in the street, I'm wondering if they're, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, an Erba Makamach, you know, Makamitza. Like, I, I don't know what was going on anymore. Like, my whole world became Yavamis. I needed a little bit of a break. He said, hmm, so what do you want to do? I said, I, I, I want to I go on a vacation. need a vacation a little bit. He said, uh, okay. He says, where do you want to go? I said, Miami Beach, land of our people. Um... You know, warm weather, restaurants, chilot tzatzamas, just, just to relax a little bit, just to get away. I just need it. So he knew me. And he knew that I was a stubborn guy. He knew that I, you know, if I want something, I generally try to get it. And he started thinking about it. And he said, you know, I would let you go. I really would. But there's one problem that's plaguing me about this whole thing. He said, you're going to go down there and people are going to ask you, what yeshiva are you from? And you're going to say, Chaim Berlin. And what type of reflection would that be on the yeshiva? What type of reflection would that be if a Talmud from Chaim Berlin is in Miami Beach in the middle of winter's month? So I said, tongue in cheek, I said, you know what, I'll tell him I'm from Tervadas. <laughs> in the end, he allowed me to go. But then we were out the door, like you have to back up. In Chaim Berlin, when you leave the office, you have to back up like this. And um, 
and we were like mamish one foot away from like getting out the door and giving each other a high five and he says wait he says how are you getting down there I said we're going to drive he said you can't drive I said why not he says because driving has a tsura of a joy ride you can't have a joy ride down to Miami if you can get a flight down there, you can go, but I'm not allowing you to take a joyride down to Miami. Anyway, we called the airline. It wasn't like today that you have Priceline, you have a million, you know, you basically paid whatever the travel agent told you. It was like to get a last-minute ticket to Miami was like, I don't know, $2,000. And um, so those plans were scrapped pretty quickly. We ended up going skiing instead, and we had a very good time. We came back, and much better. But one thing I learned from that story is that as far as Rav Aaron Schechter was concerned, I was Chaim Berlin. There are hundreds of real chashiva, tamidei chacham, muvhakim in Chaim Berlin, and the Kailo and the Rabbeim, and there's Yeshiva Katana, and there's a high school, and then there's an Eretz Yisrael, a Pachad Yitzchak, and there's, you know, in this universe called Chaim Berlin, there's Hundreds and hundreds of people, very hush of a people, good people, they have a great reputation in, this, in the world of Taira, in the Elamai Yeshivas. But I learned that I, little old me, was Chaim Berlin. I wasn't a little speck on the Chaim Berlin radar. I wasn't one little guy in Chaim Berlin out of so many hundreds. I wasn't a number. I represented Chaim Berlin. When I went down to Miami, it was as if I took the entire yeshiva on my shoulders, as if I was wearing a Chaim Berlin sweatshirt, you know, with a Chaim Berlin yarmulke and a Chaim Berlin, uh, you know, uh, talus. And it says all over my car, Chaim Berlin, because that's how he looked at me. And he didn't just look at me that way, he looked at my chavrusa that way. And he looked at every single member of the entire yeshiva from one end to the other. We were all Chaim Berlin, not Chaim Berliners. We were Chaim Berlin. We were the yeshiva. We were Shishim Rivai. We were the face of Chaim Berlin. Every move that we did down there was to be a move of Chaim Berlin. It's like we were like a mobile home of Chaim Berlin wherever we were. I couldn't believe it. And perhaps it changed something in my way of thinking about life, the way I looked at myself, the way I looked at Klal Yisrael. I looked, everything changed that moment. Because it just hit me like a thunderbolt that there's no such thing as a yachid in Klal Yisrael. We're all at Sibar Gadol. Yes, because we will have descendants. Yes, because we will have them and Talmidim, Talmidim that emanate from us. But it's much more than that. Don't wait for that. You don't have to wait a hundred years, a thousand years to see that you're going to be Shishim Reba, which is also a thousand percent true. But in real time, right now, as we sit here or we stand there today, we're already Shishim Reba. We already represent the entire Knesset Yisrael, each and every one of us. We're not Yechidim anymore. 
wherever we go during Bein Azmanim, and whatever we do, just bear this in mind. Bear this in mind when you're going to daven in your local shuls. You don't know what you're doing. So many people call me when they're trying to figure out where to send their child in terms of base medrash, and they say, you know, in our shul, this and this Talmud of yours davens, and he davens so beautifully, I want my son to be like that. I'm sending him to your yeshiva. You don't realize that when you're davening, people are looking at you and they're making life decisions that maybe their child, who may have been sent to a local college, and who knows what would be, they're now being sent to yeshiva because of you. You don't realize it. Or maybe you're going to walk on the street and stama a, a person that's not so from or not from at all is going to see you and say, wow, look, he held a door for me. And that makes a profound impression on them. They say, I want my son to also go to yeshiva because I see that yeshiva teaches them how to proper values and how to be a mensch. And that, that would be a, an incredible thing. You would never find out about that. You would never know. You're going to see like an army of hundreds of people like you made from you and say, when did that happen? I don't remember being, uh, I wasn't going uh, to, to the Western Wall on Friday night and, and being Makara people. When did I get to be a, a somebody that has 100 people, 300 people, 3,000 people as Balichua because of me? You know why? Because you walked on the street and you're walking into that post office, you held the door open for that future Balchuba, and everything changed because of that one action that you did. You represented Klal Yisrael. You represented Knesset Yisrael. You. And the yeshiva that you come from. That's all you. That's all the power of one individual. The kayak to create Eilamais, the ability to destroy Eilamais, is all within us. Whether we're loved or whether we're hated, whether Yidin will be hired or whether they won't on an interview, all will represent, all will depend on how we behave. If you are, uh, you get a job and you come on time and you leave on time and you don't try to, you know, take things from that you don't that, that, that are not coming to you and you're positive at, in, the, in the office and you're honest and you're friendly, then guess what happens? Next time they go for a, a career fair, they're going to look to hire more people like you. And you're going to be responsible for all the people that get jobs because of your Kiddush Hashem and the families that those people are supporting and the children that are going to yeshivas and the grandchildren that are going to be from, the great-grandchildren that are going to be Rosh Hashivas or, 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 or Chashav of Alabatim or people that are finishing Daf Yaimi, all because of you. Do you realize how powerful that is? Do you realize the responsibility that we all bear? For Moshe Feinstein, when he gave a closer shmuz. I don't know if it was called that, but at the, by ben, right before Ben Azmanim, he gave a closer shmuz in his yeshiva. And you know what he said? He said a very similar vart. He said, all of you are B'nai Torah, all of you are budding Tamid Chachamim. I'm not worried that you're going to make a Chil Hashem when you go out 
of the Kaisla based Madrash. That doesn't bother me. You know what does bother me? You're such Lamdanim that you know what you're going to do when you go home. Let's say tonight you're going to be davening in your local shuls, let's say. Okay? It's so the young Israel of, uh, of Poughkeepsie. And you're going to daven Mincha Mayrib. What happens between Mincha Mayrib and a lot of shuls? The Rav gets up and gives a Kitzur Shulchan Aruch Shir, or a uh, Sefer Achin Shir, or a Mishnah Baruch Shir, something very simple. And you, because you're so chashev, and you're such a future Talmud Chachman, what are you going to do? You don't want to listen to a Kitzur Shulchan Aruch Shir by the local rabbi. So you're going to pull out your Ktsais, and your Rashba, and your Nesivas, and you're going to sit there like a big Lamdin, and you're going to ignore what the Rav says. That's what I'm worried about. Because what's going to happen from that? You look from, you look like you're doing the right thing. But you know what's going to happen from that? A Takala Gedaila is going to come from that. Because the Balabatim and the Shul, who look at their Rav as the Rashka Bahag, to them, he's Rav Shach, he's Rav Chaim Eiser, he's Rav Bissir Zalman, He's of Aaron Cutler. He's there, everything. In Poughkeepsie, he's it. He's the rabbi. And they think that when they go to his Kitzah Shulchan Shir, it's Mamash Paramisinai. This is something that everybody would clamor to come to. But then you come in to their bubble and you take out a huge, huge pin and you pop the proverbial bubble and let them all see that their Rav in your eyes is Te'ephes Vasayu. I can't wait 10 minutes and listen to his shir when I can learn a, 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 a Reb during that time. And now suddenly everything has changed in that community. Because they no longer look at their Rav as being somebody special. They look at him as being a, a galechter, a joke. And the Kitzah Shechanach that he's giving is also negligible. It's not something that they that's even worthy of you to listen to. Afrilapume. That says Ramesha would be the greatest Hashem that you could do. Nobody's accusing anyone in this room of doing something that's that's really bad. Everyone here is amazing. If you're here at the last day of the Zman and you're in, at the Shmuz, then you are you deserve five stars. But it's the subtle things that are really very powerful in life. It's the little things. You come home, are you going to make your bed tomorrow morning, or are you going to leave it like a schlump? Are you going to throw your socks in the laundry, in the hamper, or are you going to leave them on the floor for your mother to pick up? Are you going to offer to go shopping, or are you going to think that everything is coming to you? Are you going to pay attention to the Rav when he gives a shear or a drush on Shabbos? Or are you going to open up your own safe or fall asleep? Are you going to hold open doors for people? Are you going to offer to help your, your, your siblings with a test that they need to study for? Or maybe learn a little bit with your younger brother so that he doesn't have to drown and shear? What are you going to do during Ben Azmanim? What are you going to do? Because it matters. You are Shishim Rebai. You are based Medish with Talmud. You are ambassadors 
And every single move that you make, you are representing me. You're representing all the Rabbeim. You're representing all the Talmidim of the Yeshiva, past, present, and future. And additionally, if that's not enough, you're representing the entirety of Kal Yisrael. Is this a tremendous achrayas? Oh yeah. But you can't help it. You're a Yid. And that's how we play. That's how we deal. We try to be on our best behavior constantly because it's the right thing to do. And additionally, because we're not just alone. We're not just single people. We are people that represent the Rabbeinu Shalom. We represent Knesset Yisrael. And what we represent our Makam So Mitzvah Hashem, you should have a beautiful Bein Azmanim. You should relax. You should spend a lot of time with your family. You should chill, because you deserve it. You should learn every day, Bekviyas. And just remember that we're very proud of you. You are a Maisa Yadayli Hispoyer. You give us tremendous nachas. You give us tremendous pride. We hear such amazing things about each of you. Carry that forward. Remember who you are. Remember what you represent. And remember your future. Because you are the future of Kal Yisrael. And Kal Yisrael comes from you.